This is the SYA Sidecast. Conversations, meditations, and experiences that connect us more to the young adult ministry of Shepherd Church. Hey friends, uh, so I'm coming at you with a bonus episode of sorts. Now, the next episode is going to be part two of the signature of Jesus. It's going to be all about the resurrection. I'm going to share why the resurrection of Christ is the thing in the Christian faith. I'm going to give you like my best stuff. Kind of one of those things to where if you were to back me into an intellectual corner and say, Dusty, what is there anything in the world that you're certain of? And if there's anything, the resurrection is it. And, and so I think, I hope that episode, the next episode, is going to be helpful as you talk with some of your uh, friends and family who uh, have questions about um, Christianity and as you share with them the cornerstone of our faith, which is the resurrection. But right now, this episode, this bonus episode, I'm calling it a prelude to hope. And that prelude is what I'm calling trembling bewilderment, because that's how the women who first found Jesus's empty tomb, that's how they're described in Mark's gospel. Trembling bewilderment. It's the space in between. It's the tension between the hope and the dread of what might be coming. Trembling bewilderment is where we are as a world right now. And so this episode It's a prelude to hope, but it's also a prelude to the resurrection. I mean, it's a metaphor, but it's also, it's kind of like flesh and blood because it's our current reality. But let's back up. 2,000 years ago on Good Friday, Jesus cried out in the night begging God for another way. His friends slept while he was overwhelmed to the point of death and ultimately God didn't answer Jesus' prayer of desire. One of his friends betrayed him and literally sold him out. His best friend denied even knowing him, and the others deserted him. Jesus was tried and mocked and tortured and crucified, naked for six hours. But Mark 15 says there were some women there, watching at the cross from a distance, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph, a woman named Salome. They had been followers of Jesus, it says, and they had cared for him while he was in Galilee. And many other women, Mark 15 says, had come with him, with Jesus, to Jerusalem. They were also there at the cross. 2,000 years ago, in a time when gender equality wasn't anything close to being a thing, Jesus from Nazareth, the rabbi, he had female disciples. All four gospel accounts have Jesus's female followers there at the cross. Each of those gospel accounts also have the women disciples as the first resurrection witnesses. Ladies, are you listening? Jesus, like, changed the game, right? But even still, in 2020, there, there's plenty of backwards views But, but, don't miss the good. Don't miss all the good that has come. But either way, I would still encourage you, don't settle. But, realize that hardship and injustice shapes character if you'll let it. Especially if you'll stay close to Jesus and his cross like these women of Mark chapter 15. It goes on, Mark 15 verse 42 
It says this all happened on Friday, the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath. As evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, he took a risk. He went to the Roman governor, Pilate, and he asked for Jesus' body. Uh, Joseph was an honored member of the high council. He was a big wig in the Jewish religion, and so that's why it was a risk. He goes to Pilate. Pilate, it says, couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead. So he called one of the Roman soldiers. He asked if Jesus had died. The officer confirmed that Jesus was indeed dead, so Pilate told Joseph he could have the body. Joseph, this politically connected man, He buys a long sheet of linen cloth and he personally takes Jesus' body down from the cross. He wraps it in the cloth and he lays it in his own private tomb. Then he rolled a stone in front of the entrance. And it says Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph, they saw, they saw where Jesus' body was laid. Now, here's what's going on with the ladies. They're following, partly because they love the Lord, of course, but they had to get to Jesus' body fast because there was no time to really prepare for burial. This is why uh, Joseph of Arimathea gets the cloth and gets Jesus wrapped up and put in the tomb because there's no time to do this before Sabbath. All the laws and tradition, you can't deal with a dead body during the Sabbath. So the women, they would come back First thing Sunday morning once Sabbath ended, you know, like three days later. Mark 16, it says Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, they went out and purchased burial spices so that they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. And on the way, they were asking each other, who's going to roll the stone away so we can get in? But as they arrive... They look up, they see the stone, which was very large. It had already been rolled aside. And when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in white. That's like the New Testament's way of saying angel, angel, angel. And there he is sitting on the right side. The women were shocked. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples and Peter. You remember Peter? You remember the rooster? Well, that's another story. Tell the disciples that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there, just as he told you before he died. There's one more verse, verse 8, but before we get there, if you look in your Bible at Mark chapter 16, you're going to you're not going to just see 8 verses, you're going to see 20 verses. But the earliest, most reliable manuscripts of this gospel, they, it just ends at verse 8. Here's what happened. A couple hundred years later, a, a, a good-intentioned scribe added verses 9 through 20. Because Jesus, like his resurrection by the angel is announced, and he tells the women, go, tell everybody, go, Jesus is going to meet you at Galilee. And then here's how it actually ends in verse 8. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered. And they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. So for some people, this presents loose ends, right? Like, did the women actually go and tell? Like, did Jesus appear to anybody? When Jesus saw Peter again, did he punch him in the face? I think this is exactly how Mark meant to end it. And I think it's brilliant both as storytelling, but also its message to you and its message to me. 
Keep a few things in mind. Mark's audience, they are already Christian. Tradition tells us that most of Mark's material for this gospel came from Peter's preaching. So, did the women go and tell? Of course they did. Did Jesus appear to his disciples? Of course he did. Because the church is there. The, this original audience is like, it's, it's us. We've heard the preaching. We've seen the miracles. The gospel is spreading through Rome and through the world like wildfire. But the story ends abruptly. The women flee, trembling and bewildered. This is brilliant storytelling because it grips the reader and it forces us to inquire. But it also, it invites you to read this as the story of Jesus' death and empty tomb playing out right now in your life. But it's the phrase trembling and bewildered that moves me as the final words because this is my story in a phrase. 1993, drunk in my room, seeing evil things, um, praying for the first time, Jesus, if you're real, help me, I think I'm going to die, and then experiencing what I think was God's presence, and I lasted a good 30 seconds. I was more afraid of the presence of the risen Jesus than I was with these evil things. I fled my room. I literally, 17 years old, 18 years old, ran out of my room trembling and bewildered. Now, I could end my story right there, even if you've never heard the details. I could end it right there because here I am, all these years later, having given my life to kingdom work and to the gospel, and to, to pacing with people um, in faith, You'd know that a change must have come. I ran out of the room. God showed up. I ran out uh, trembling and bewildered, and I could end it there. But you'd know, man, something had to have happened. That clearly, that did something to him. Well, there's wonder mixed with fear when you encounter Jesus. There's trembling bewilderment, partly because I think he enjoys it but also because of his nature. Healthy fear is often what brings out wonder. It's why kids like to be afraid a lot of times. It's why we love stranger things. In C.S. Lewis's classic Narnia book series, there's a great scene in The Boy and His Horse. Uh, One of the main characters in the series is named Aslan. He is the terrifying and wonderful lion. He is the representation in these, these books of Jesus. And this boy, Shasta, when he first meets Aslan, well, I want to read a little passage from it. And being very tired and having nothing inside him, Shasta felt so sorry for himself that the tears rolled down his cheeks. What put a stop to all this was a sudden fright. Shasta discovered that someone or somebody was walking beside him. It was pitch dark, and he could see nothing. And the thing or the person was going so quietly that he could hardly hear any footsteps. What he could hear was breathing. His invisible companion seemed to breathe on a very large scale, and Shasta got the impression that it, w- that it was a very large creature. And he had come to notice this breathing so gradually that he had really no idea how long it had been there. It was a horrible shock. 
and it darted into his mind that he'd heard long ago that there were giants in these northern countries, and he began to bite his lip in terror. But now that he really had something to cry about, he stopped crying. The thing went on beside him so very quietly that Shasta began to hope that he had just imagined it, but just as he was becoming quite sure of it, there suddenly came a deep, rich sigh out of the darkness beside him. Now that couldn't be imagination. And he felt the hot breath of that sigh on his chilly left hand. And barely above a whisper, Shasta asked, Who are you? And the thing spoke back, I am one who has waited long for you to speak to me. The women fled the tomb, trembling and bewildered. Of course they did. This is the common but terrifying thing that happens when we enter the presence or the dawning of the presence of the risen Jesus. The angel says, Jesus is going ahead of you, waiting. You'll see him there. He's going to Galilee. Why there? Because that's where it all began. That's where Jesus had called each of them to follow him. Resurrection is a new beginning, so it takes you back to the beginning. So what will the women do? We already know. The world changed. They went and told. The frightened, cowardly disciples, they turned the world upside down. They preached God's love for all. They cared for the poor and the outcast, and their joy and generosity was bound up and tied together, and it exploded outward. What will the women do? Nah, what will you do? The tomb is empty. Much is uncertain, and you're trembling and bewildered. And Jesus has called you out to meet him in the spaces and places of need. He has died for sin, he's risen from the dead, and he's gone ahead. But he also strides alongside, breathing, waiting long for you to speak. And so, my friend, what are you waiting for. There are clouds of uncertainties and shadows of dark things that abound, and this leaves us often trembling with bewilderment. But there's also an empty tomb, and there's an invitation to go see the light, and that is a prelude to hope. And what comes next? <laughs> Well, that changes everything. Thanks for listening to the SYA Sidecast. Make sure to connect with us on Instagram at we are SYA.